Section 23 of Sketches of the Fair Sex in All Parts of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nadine Curtboulet. Sketches of the Fair Sex in All Parts of the World by Anonymous. Chapter 23. Power of Filters and Charms. The Romans, who borrowed most of their customs from the Greeks, also followed them in that of endeavouring to conciliate love by the power of filters and charms, a fact of which we have not the least room to doubt, as they are in Virgil and some other of the Latin poets so many instances that prove it. But it depends not altogether on the testimony of the poets. Plutarch tells us that Lucullus, a Roman general, lost his senses by a love potion, and Caius Caligula, according to Suetonius, was thrown into a fit of madness by one which was given him by his wife Sisonia. Lucretius, too, according to some others, felt a sacrifice to the same folly. The Romans, like the Greeks, made use of these methods mostly in their affairs of gallantry and unlawful love. But in what manner they addressed themselves to a lady they intended to marry has not been handed down to us, and the reason we suppose is that little or no courtship was practised among them. Women had no disposing power of themselves. To what purpose was it then to apply to them for their consent? They were under perpetual guardianship, and the guardian having sole power of disposing of them, it was only necessary to apply to him. In the Roman authors we frequently read of a father, a brother, or a guardian, giving his daughter, his sister, or his ward in marriage. But we do not recollect one single instance of being told that the intended bridegroom applied to the lady for her consent, a circumstance the more extraordinary, as women in the decline of the Roman Empire had arisen to a dignity, and even to a freedom, hardly equalled in modern times. Eastern Courtship It has long been a common observation among mankind that love is the most fruitful source of invention, and that in this case the imagination of a woman is still more fruitful of invention and expedient than that of a man. Agreeably to this, we are told that the women of the island of Amboina, being closely watched on all occasions, and destitute of the art of writing, by which, in other places, the sentiments are conveyed to any distance, have methods of making known their inclinations to their lovers, and of fixing assignations with them by means of nosegays, and plates of fruit so disposed as to convey their sentiments in the most explicit manner. By these means their courtship is generally carried on, and by altering the disposition of symbols made use of, they contrive to signify their refusal with the same explicitness as their approbation. In some of the neighboring islands, when a young man has fixed his affection, like the Italians, he goes from time to time to her door, and plays upon some musical instrument. If she gives consent, she comes out to him, and they settle the affair of matrimony between them. If after a certain number of this kind of visits she does not appear it is a denial and the disappointed lover is obliged to desist we shall see afterward when we come to treat of the matrimonial compact that in some places the ceremony of marriage consists in tying the garments of the young couple together as an emblem of that union which ought to bind their affections and interests this ceremony has afforded a hint for lovers to explain their passion to their mistresses in the most intelligible manner, without the help of speech or the possibility of offending the nicest delicacy. A lover in these parts, who is too modest to declare himself, 
seizes the first opportunity he can find of sitting down by his mistress and tying his garment to hers in the manner that is practised in the ceremony of marriage if she permits him to finish the knot without any interruption and does not soon after cut or lose it she thereby gives her consent if she loses it he may tie it again on some other occasion when she may prove more propitious but if she cuts it his hopes are blasted for ever long hair of saxons and danes the human hair has ever been regarded as an ornament the anglo-saxons and danes considered their hair as one of their greatest personal beauties and took great care to dress it to the utmost advantage young ladies wore it loose and flowing in ringlets over their shoulders but after marriage they cut it shorter tied it up and covered it with a headdress according to the fashion of the times but to have the hair cut entirely off was a disgrace of such a nature that it was even thought a punishment not inadequate to the crime of adultery so great in the middle ages was the value set upon the hair by both sexes that as a piece of the most peculiar modification it was ordered by the canons of the church that the clergy should keep their hair short and shave the crown of their head and that they should not upon any pretence whatever endeavour to keep the part so shaved from public view many of the clergy of these times finding themselves so peculiarly mortified and perhaps so easily distinguished from all other people by this particularity as to be readily detected when they committed any of the follies or crimes to which human nature is in every situation sometimes liable endeavoured to persuade mankind that long hair was criminal in order to reduce the whole to a similarity with themselves amongst these st wellston eminently distinguished himself he rebuked says william of malmesbury the wicked of all ranks with great boldness but was peculiarly severe upon those who were proud of their long hair when any of these vain people bowed their heads before him to receive his blessing before he gave it he cut a lock from their hair with a sharp penknife which he carried about him for that purpose and commanded them by way of penance for their sins to cut all the rest in the same manner if any of them refused to comply with his command he reproached them for their effeminacy and denounced the most dreadful judgments against them such however was the value of the hair in these days that many rather submitted to his censures than part with it and such was the folly of the church and of this saint in particular that the most solemn judgments were denounced against multitudes for no other crime than not making use of penknives and scissors to cut off an ornament bestowed by nature end of section twenty three